You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. And the prize is back. Hey, everybody. Uh, I know we're a little early on a few other things for the Oscars or whatever, but the festivals have been happening now. We had TIFF and Venice going on. I believe we have New York coming up in a couple weeks. So we wanted to get a little ahead of the schedule and talk about who we thought really made the biggest impressions from Toronto and from the TIFF. Uh, sorry, Venice. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been a long couple of days. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, I have my guest with me here, uh, Bradley. How you doing, buddy? Good. Hello. Brad, you sound a little under the weather. You okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Okay. I'm always under the weather. <laughs> you sound a little like Joe from the side, just like, hey, <laughs> how you guys doing? Sounds like Nick. <laughs> the Merc with the Mike Nick? is joining us today, playing Bradley. He's not He's not quite the, the hey, I'm from Wisconsin, kind of tone that Nick has. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> also, you heard over there, that's Alan, everybody. Hi, I'm here also. He is indeed. So... Uh, I know you guys, well, Alan, you're mostly new to the stuff for Iron the Prize, but this is the much more hardcore nerd episode of Iron the Prize, where we just kind of give speculative thoughts about what we felt were the biggest winners and losers and potential candidates for this uh, for the season kind of thing. And, uh, I mean, we have not seen these movies. Uh, Shaq has, and he will be on here tomorrow, because we're going to review all the movies that he saw at TIFF, which is exciting. But, uh, yeah, here we're just going to talk about who we thought actually made the biggest impressions for the, for the festivals. First, though, I wanted to talk about a couple stories that I thought were interesting. And this is one story I feel like this is good for a think piece a little bit. It's not to have to be talked too much. But uh, so, as you know, Brad Pitt has two movies coming out this um, well this year. He had oh, Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then uh, just this week he's going to do Ad Astra, which so far has been actually getting pretty positive reviews for him so far, especially in his performance. Now, what was interesting that he did an interview recently, and someone linked this quote from uh, IndieWire, that Brad Pitt said he will not actually campaign for any Oscars this year. But, one, does that uh, mean that he's not going to get nominated if he doesn't campaign? And two, does that matter if he doesn't campaign or not? Because, I mean, Alan, are you familiar with the uh, the process of how people campaign for Oscars? Uh, only very little, but it's like, yeah. I, I, you know, at this point, you might as well explain it because I, I only know very little, so I don't want to say anything. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, uh, there's not any one right way to do it. But basically, a lot of people will take out advertisements in places like Variety and various um, <clears throat> movie trades and try to get awareness there. They'll try to market directly to studios and to voters from those studios, especially anybody who actually has Academy membership. Because technically, in certain categories, anyone who has membership is eligible to vote. So they're going to try to like send them free screeners. They're going to try to send them uh, these kind of things. And then a lot of it is also them promoting themselves on talk shows, on interviews with different publications, and just trying to Basically, it's you're selling the person or you're selling the movie. You're selling them as, hey, you should vote for me because I did great this movie. But Brad Pitt has made it clear he's like, which is not atypical of Brad Pitt because he doesn't like to promote himself in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but that's interesting where somebody, I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to say what, but someone's going to make a point like, oh, man, if this was a person of color who said this as an actor, they would get blacklisted because they're, you know, shoot themselves in the foot for Oscar potential. What? And I'm just like, it was a dumb comment. And the only reason they said that was because that's what happened to Monique, more or less. Because do you remember when Monique won the Oscar for Precious? Yeah, that was a long time ago, yeah. I know, 10 years ago. But 
part of the reason why you don't see her in movies anymore is because she refused to, you know, kiss the ring of the Hollywood executives when it came to Oscar campaigning and other stuff. Uh, and yeah. that did really torpedo her career, unfortunately. Which is sad because she's great and precious. That was one of the very best performances that year, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing where people are just like, oh, well, see, if a woman of color did this, then, yeah, they just get shunned from Hollywood and never talked about it again. But if it was, you know, Brad Pitt, he's uh, he's Hollywood royalty. But I made the point, too, I'm like... I mean, he's right. No, they're well, right, yeah, actually. <laughs> sure, but I also made the point, I'm like, if Denzel said this, you know, Denzel Washington, I'm sure he would still get nominated, you know, because who doesn't love Denzel Washington? Okay, so well, so the uh, implication that a person of color, a uh, minority, or someone of a different sex saying the exact same phrase that would cause them to get blacklisted, that is true. But how royalty exists in both Brad Pitt and in Denzel and a bunch of other people from various sure. different races. So the notion that they're, that he's not campaigning is a big deal, but the reason he's still going to have a career is because it's Brad fucking Pitt. You know? Yeah, no, that, and that's my point too. Like, I, I don't deny that there was a lot of politics and that stuff concerning the, the the Hollywood campaigning for Oscars but it just it seemed very like inflammatory the way they framed it I'm just like yeah we have to be it's a very, there's a very nuanced and minute argument to have about like we said Hollywood royalty in that case because you know it's like yeah. saying if Will Smith didn't campaign for an Oscar he could still potentially get a nominate nominate I'm not saying he has done anything Oscar worthy lately <laughs> kind of thing but uh, he, no, you know, you burn. saw a concussion, or what was the last? Movie that was like five about? years ago. Man, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last NFL movie he did with Helen Mirren? That film, like in time or some shit like that, or what? What was the last movie he did with Helen Mirren? And he's like writing letters to like oh, death. Oh, uh, Collateral Beauty. Collateral yeah. Beauty. Yeah. No, what dude, that was like universally hated. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Again, he has not done anything Oscar worthy in a good number of years. Suicide so. Squad. Well, okay, that was. I'm not letting that go. I refuse to ever let that go. I do not hate Suicide Squad as much as everybody else. It's not a good movie. I don't hate it as much as everybody else. <laughs> but it's not really, no. Well, I guess it neither won do an I. Oscar. I. Never mind. I actually yeah, like the movie, but fuck, you got an Oscar. Go fuck yourself, Academy. Hey, that that was a point where DC <laughs> at that point had DC had more Oscars than the MCU. <laughs> yeah, I, I laughed. I right. howled when it won, and Doctor Strange didn't. <laughs> But anyway, um, yeah, so that's just a little bit of a thing that I thought was discussion-worthy. I mean, what do you think about this, Brad? I think the idea that an actor would be nominated for Best Performance from a sci-fi film is very unlikely. Well, I I mean, Ad Astra is less likely, but actually he's been one of the top picks for supporting actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, oh, so... Wait, wait, question. Has Mahershala Ali done any supporting roles this year? No, unfortunately. Okay, then. Well, I, I mean, unless you count work. Alita Battle Angel, which I doubt which will I give him d- any. <laughs> I was going to say, because for the last two years, it's been the Mahershala Ali Award, because he just wins it every time. Well, I mean, between that, it was uh, Sam Rockwell for three billboards, so. Yeah. Yeah. But no, uh, yeah, sadly, Mahershala is not eligible this year for anything. He's too busy working out the deal for Blade, so. Oh, my God, he's too busy being in everything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do you think that will hurt Brad Pitt's chances? I mean, I still think he's very much a potential candidate for being nominated this year for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that it won't. I'm oh, sorry, I don't know if you're talking to Bradley specifically. I don't think it will hurt at all. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I mean, he's kind of due, isn't he? Since 12 Monkeys? Well, I mean, that was his big breakout where he proved that, that he was. That was a sci fi film, and they were like, snub. Well, I forget who won that year. I have to look that up. But uh, yeah, it's not important. He's just no, 
Yeah, I mean, I, and to be fair, I think that uh, Once, Upon a, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of his very best performances he ever did, too. Yeah, and I've heard that from a lot of people, so. Oh, you haven't seen yeah, it yet, have you? He's better in World War Z. Uh, pfft, oh I, again, God. I I'm thought World War Z so was not kidding. that bad. I like World War Z. I think the movie's actually pretty good. Yeah, until you get to that ending. I think the ending is actually the best part of the movie. <laughs> that, thir- that third act is better than anything else that happened in that movie. That third act made me howl so loudly. Someone told me to shut up. And I'm like, are you watching this, dude? Hey, that's better than the original third act, which was retarded in comparison. So I'm curious. Just out of curiosity, what is the original third act? The, the original third act is where Brad Pitt gets shot down over Russia and then conscripted into an army, and they have a giant like D-Day style battle against the zombies at the end. That sounds <laughs> awesome. What are you talking about? Uh, no, absurd. the way they explained it sounded. And then also his wife leads them for Matthew Fox, which is why you saw Matthew Fox in that movie, but he never showed up again because they cut out his scenes. Again, that sounds way better than let me inject myself with deadly viruses and hope I don't instantly die. I don't agree. Well, (laughs) they they knew he wouldn't instantly die because they had the cures for all those. That's not how it works. Yeah, that's not how diseases work, man. (laughs) Whatever, whatever. Oh, by the way, uh, Kevin Spacey won that year against Brad Pitt for Usual Suspects. So gross. Hey, he was good. Usual Suspects. Retro. Okay, retroactively gross. At the time, (laughs) that was a pretty amazing performance. It yeah. still is. Let's it was his breakout. I mean, that you know, for Brad Pitt being a breakout, that was also a breakout for Kevin Spacey. Actually, all those people nominated that year, uh, James Cromwell, Ed Harris, Brad Pitt, Tim Roth, and Kevin Spacey, that was a big breakout for all those actors. Yeah, that's that a year. brutal category. Fucking yeah, Tim Roth. Those are all great actors. <laughs> yeah, Tim Roth and, is incredible. Yeah, Tim like Roth Tim at Roth? one point, like, for Rob Roy, he was amazing at Rob Roy. Yeah, Roy. Tim Roth used to be, like, the shit. Yeah. So, Still is but anyways, uh, that's probably the most we can talk about that uh, that news yep. story. Just interesting. Yes. Um, so now moving on to the film festival stuff, and we got to address this first because this was the big surprise that came out of TIFF. Jojo Rabbit won the top prize at TIFF, which no one thought was actually going to happen. That that's means so it's weird. Oscar bound. Everyone says oh, it's Toronto. We've been legal for like a year now. Everyone's high. A lot of uh, TIFF. Tiff winners win the big one, though. What, the King's Speech, Green Book? What's another one? Justin? Yeah, so uh, for people who don't know, what Brad's referring to there is about the People's Choice Award. So whoever wins the People's Choice Award, like, I would say 17 out of the last 18 years or some ridiculous number like that, they've always managed to be a Best Picture candidate if they, won- if they win the People's Choice Prize at Tiff. And the ones that won uh, for Best Picture were the ones he mentioned. We've had... Uh, American Beauty, Sometime Millionaire, King's Speech, 12 Years a Slave, and Green Book all went on to win Best Picture after getting the People's Choice Award. If Jojo Rabbit wins Best Fucking Picture, I'm going to personally <laughs> fight Taki Watiti. Like, what Jojo the Jojo Rabbit looks great, man. Really? Nah, I'm sorry, man. I can't sit here and, like, watch this fucking crazy bullshit interpretation of Hitler and not just be somewhat offended. It's a dark satire. Sometimes I don't it's... give a shit. You should have been dark satiring one of the villainous men in history. Well, and see, that's the thing that's got people up in arms is the way that they're tackling it as a dark comedy with, and this is almost exactly the same controversy that happened with Life is Beautiful, if you remember that movie back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you think for of Springtime for Hitler and the producers there, Alan? See, that the producers is one of my all-time favorite movies. And the point Same of that here. one yeah. is to make fun of the Nazis. Because back then, exactly. it, it was taboo to even talk about the Nazis. So the fact that Mel Brooks did it as a Jewish man making fun of Hitler was not only a big deal, but it was profound back in the day. Even yeah. for being such a silly film as the producers is. Absolutely. Look, I, I think that there's always a place for satirical interpretations of incredibly heinous events. But the trailer makes it seem like it's this fucking, like, 
wacky Gonzo adventure, and that's just something I can't get behind. Now, hey, if he, hey, I do wish I can, that we whatever the fuck, that, his success in his life. He's doing what he wants to do, and literally no one can stop him. Keep doing your thing. But I can't sit here and support something that just looks incredibly offensive. It's just, that's just me. I just don't find it very offensive, personally. I'm like, look, yes, it's talking about Hitler, it's talking about Nazis, but... It's not meant to be about making them look cuddly, which people have accused of this one, that they make them like, oh, they're just big doofuses. It's like, they're still bad guys. They're still villains. They're not supposed to be idolized. It's just, from what I understand, the idea is that the film is supposed to be from the perspective of the kid who doesn't know much better in this stuff. Because he's, what, an eight, nine-year-old kid dealing with extreme fascism kind of thing. And part of that is the deprogramming of a kid who's being raised by fascist culture when he realizes that he's, you know, he meets a Jewish girl who is not a bad person kind of thing. And... That's the thing. It's just being... I don't know. That's why I really want to see it to make my own opinion. Because I know uh, a little spoiler for tomorrow that Shaq was not as crazy about this film either for that reason. So... Yeah. So it's not... not, Wow, me and Shaq agree on something. Holy shit. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, (laughs) Shaq's already seen it, so compared to you. Yeah, but But, that's just weird. Usually we're, like, violently, like, aggressive towards each other. Well, and, and that's the thing. It's like, it's... This is not as universally beloved. I think right now, last I checked, it was like 55% of Rotten Tomatoes, but it might have been bumped up a bit since then. Yeah, supposedly but, it's at 75 now, but... Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's <laughs> the weird thing, is that it's been... This year, film festivals has been nothing but controversial picks for winners, because then Venice, Joker won the top prize there, and that one's beginning so, also a divisive response. Joker! So my theory... Of- my theory about this is uh, counter uh, counterculture is getting it popular because people right now, especially you see this debate with uh, Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle all the time, is people are like, stop being offended by everything and just let people make jokes and let comedy have its free reign and, and you're a bad person if you try to quote-unquote censor or not get the joke or not laugh or tell someone to change their stuff up. So, And I feel like both Jojo Rabbit and Joker fit into this counterculture of... Uh, I guess, uh, acceptism or offensivism. Like, because I just said, yeah, I'm incredibly offended by the trailer, seeing that, and seeing the Nazis essentially looking like doofuses to some of the biggest villains in history that have killed millions of people. But sure. it feels like people are like, no, 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 you have to like this because people can, should, should be able to make jokes about anything. And I think that's why it's winning. I think this is just counterculture. Well, I mean, part of that too, which I'm not surprised because we've had that counterculture in the other extreme where we people were making these kind of movies even back in, say, like, Mid two thousands with the really extreme, you know, vulgar comedies kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, no, this is scary movies. Yeah, but it's weird because we keep going back and forth on this. It feels like we go into like cycles of what people yeah. are willing to accept or show in these kind of content, uh, this kind of these kind of movies. So it's just strange seeing where we are now with that. Where it's like, you know, maybe ten years ago this would have been seen as like a revolutionary comedy. Now it's a matter of controversy, kind of thing like that. I don't think. I think ten years this would have been like an Austin Powers type shit. No, I think it's Taika Waititi has done what, what we do in the shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, Thor Ragnarok, and all these critics and Academy people are like, oh, I love that so much, but I'm just so scared to say a comedy should be awarded something. So something like this comes along. Part of it, I think along. that is the case. Yeah. yeah oh, so yeah. something like this comes along, Alan, and they're like, ooh, that, that has a Nazi in it. Academy always does Nazi stuff. Let's jump on it. You know? So they're finally... Finding a gateway to give him his due. Oh, That's like when all. Black Panther came out and they straight up created a category just so they can give it an award? No, they retroactively removed that category. The participation yeah, they, they award goes to Black Panther for existing. 
<laughs> that's how I saw that fucking award. No, that's literally what it was, and I'm so glad they changed their minds on that. I'm like, good. That was, Everyone saw through that pandering bullcrap. It, it seemed like it was condescending to absolutely everybody. Oh, even the snooty yeah. people were like, ugh, what are we doing? Well, because that's the thing. Like, even Marvel, they're like, uh, we want to legitimately win our prizes. We don't want any hands out, handouts, thank you. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's just one of those things with the, I mean, at this point we're shitting on the Oscars more than we're talking about it. But Hey, there's true. plenty to criticize the Oscars as much as there is to praise. I can say it, both. So It's an old boys club sure. of things that only art can win. And it's like, I'm not saying Black Panther should win best writing or anything like that, but just no. don't sit there and treat it like, like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm sure Black Panther was better written than some of the other fucking movies during the Oscars last year. Ah, uh, well. Mm. I said some. <laughs> the, there are some badly like written movies that got nominated. <laughs> sure. I mean, like, uh, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody got nominated. That one's exactly. not No, I agree. I'm not one, saying. a couple uh, things, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, again, I agree with some of those points. I'm just saying also, I'm not going to say Black Panther was like the best movie that came out last year. It was a good movie. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. But I would not be surprised if the Bohemian Rhapsody script had several pages that just said, remember Queen music? Think about that. Let's do that. Remember <laughs> have, have him play the piano and lip singing and make it as awful as possible so they can win best editing. Well, and the well, sad thing, think... too, is that because of Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man's going to get shot in the foot because it did it better. But now that Bohemian Rhapsody already came out, they're just like, shoot. You know? Yeah. Damn it, we should have waited for a better movie. I, I, right? No, that's that's literally the situation everyone's going to like like, man, we wish we could nominate Taron Egerton and all these kind of things, but we already have a <laughs> we already have a, a, a singer who got an Oscar last year, so whatever. Um but yeah, so that's what's going on and also interesting case for Joker is a similar controversial problem where they're like, yeah. Oh, so this movie, I mean, from what it sounds like, because I'm you know, I'm definitely gonna go see this movie no matter what, and I'm not guaranteeing it's gonna be good. I don't know if it's gonna be good. Sure. But what it sounds like is people are very sharply divided about what the message of the film is, which I almost argue from this point, it sounds like there is no message. It is, well, there's a message, but it's not one trying to make a point. It's just one that's throwing a bunch of points out and just letting you decide how you feel about it. But ultimately, it's apparently a super nihilistic movie, like really, yeah. really dark. So. And you can see that from the way Joaquin Phoenix is talking about, like, all I have are negative thoughts. It's one of those things where a lot of different groups are attaching themselves to it. Some good, some incredibly terrible. And it just seems like yeah. it's people are projecting this movie. People are putting what they want onto this movie. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I'm seeing is this is the anti-critic movie again. We're like, oh, the critics don't know what they're talking about. This could be a great movie. Remember the last time y'all did that? It's called Godzilla, King of Monsters. No, did you see the poster for that where they actually took a quote from a, from a review that savaged them and they picked and cherry-picked out sentences to promote as positive quotes for the movie like the studio did. did that even with the negative reviews <laughs> yeah because it's like they I, i'm so sick of the anti-critic movie because they did that with godzilla yeah. they're like man critics don't know what to talk about of course we want giant monster fights the movie bombed y'all y'all didn't uh, see it the critics were I mean, right it, it bombed the bombed. theaters but the the home video releases it has been selling like crazy here at the best buy i've been looking at i so. think Gotti was promoted as an anti-critic movie too though yeah but that was an act of desperation on their part <laughs> I don't think the Joker's going to live up to its controversy. I think people are going to see it in mass and be like, what was the big deal with that? I think it's going to be a huge hit, personally. So. I'm not saying it's not going to be a huge hit. I think people are going to be disappointed when it's not outrageous. It's going to be one of those movies where people are like, 
it's it's trying to say a message, but it's not saying it. It's like, oh, we're gonna put all this imagery in it because we want to have a message. We don't know what the fuck the message is. You figure it out. It's gonna be one of those you figure it out movies. And, I and see, that's why I usually, I usually like movies like that because I want interpretation. I don't that want to. That kind of fits the tone of the Joker. No, but think? but the you figure it out movies can are, are, can be done very very well. But there has to be enough substance there for you to grasp on. Sure. Because it, it, that is one of the easiest things for writers to do to just be incredibly fucking lazy. Like, incredibly fucking lazy, where it's like, oh, well, we're just going to leave this shit. At- yeah. What's up? Yeah, no, there's a difference between, yeah, like, I, I agree with you. Like, when you say, like, being lazy with that stuff, like, there has to be something else in the movie, like, either visually or subtextually to carry on a you-decide kind of message, it, you know? For, yeah. for people that are wondering what my point is, it's the difference between Inception and Sucker Punch. <laughs> I, I know that those are weird movies to bring up, but if you watch both those movies, they both have a subtext. One is by an incredible writer team of Jonathan Nolan and Christopher Nolan, Inception. And one was written by a person who doesn't know how to read, Zack Snyder. Well, actually, Jonathan Nolan didn't write Inception. It was only Chris, so. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Okay. Well, that I see they work together all the time, so. Oh, yeah, no, normally, yes. But, yeah. but that, I mean, that is a good point, because one of the things that makes the distinction there with Inception and uh, Sucker Punch is that Sucker Punch presumes that you already know what it's talking about. Like, it's all like, oh, see, don't you see how deep this is about the me- the thoughts of that? But it's not telling you anything. It's just showing you crazy visuals. And that's yeah. all it is. It's just an excuse to show you gonzo crazy dream sequences, which aren't even the all that. The dancing big. was empowerment. And then, you know, someone would say, are you saying it's empowered for people to get? And then Zack Snyder would be like, I have another appointment and run out. Yeah, uh, yeah we're empowering women by showing them as hookers with panty shots taking on giant robots. Well, he yeah. thinks empowerment is women fighting giant robots. So, but but anyway, but my point is, I feel like Joker's going to be not necessarily like Sucker Punch, but that same idea of we want all these points about society. We're not going to commit or say anything. We're just going to hope you guys can maybe talk about this movie and sell it for us. We'll see. We'll see. Again, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna see it and decide for myself. I'm very curious because I mean, again, I see that stuff's working because I look at the comments on Facebook and that stuff and. Everyone comments on just like, yeah, actually all these negative reviews make me want to see it more because I want to see if it's actually as bad as they say or if, it, you know, I'm sure they're probably not right. It's it's weird to see how this has this inverse effect when there's extreme hate for a movie like this like from those critics. It makes people actually want to see the movie more. Yeah. Well, the, the funny <laughs> the thing about that movie. is it's certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't know this critics hate it movement that's going on. A lot of critics are saying it's fantastic. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, right now it's at like 76% on the tomato meter, so it's one of the things where the people who like it really like it, and the people who hate it really hate it. So, kind of thing. So, I don't know. I'll see. And now, also, well, spoiler. There's the wild card. Yeah, that Joaquin Phoenix has been incredible in terrible movies. So Yeah, well, and that's the one thing that even the critics seem to agree, that Joaquin Phoenix is like the best thing about the movie. So, yeah. cool. I'm excited. But anyways, uh, moving on from there to actually talking about some of the biggest winners and losers out of TIFF. I'm I'm very curious to see how these movies play out in the long run. But so, I mean, I sent you guys the list of all the movies that premiered at Toronto. I mean, at Toronto yep. and Venice. So now, Alan, I'm just curious, just because you're the new guy around here. How familiar are you with any of these movies that we just t- talked about? Uh, here? Some of the one, not every single thing on here, but like Knives Out and uh, Parasite, Honey Boy. We, we've talked about it. We've seen trailers for some of this stuff. But some of the other ones here, it's like I've never even heard of. Okay, so this would be a good chance to help give you and the listeners at home, hey everybody, uh, a little bit of education about what came out and what really people have been saying about them. So, uh, first of all, I would say that probably one of the biggest winners is Parasite in this case. Cause, so, Parasite won the Cannes Award this year as well, and I think it, ran, it got the runner-up prize at Toronto. Uh, no, no, sorry, second runner-up. The first runner-up yeah. was Marriage Story. But uh, Parasite 
already tracking to be probably one of the biggest foreign film hits this year. Uh, honestly, probably the contender for best international film uh, when it comes to the Oscars. Sweet. Yeah, which, I mean, I love Bong Joon-ho's work. I mean, for people who don't know, he did uh, Snowpiercer. He did... Really? Uh, the, yeah, this is the same director. It's Parasite, uh, Okja, all those films. Because so. Snowpiercer is one of my favorite movies that people don't get. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. I would honestly say yeah, it's, but it's a straightforward it's, it's movie. All, but it's, yeah, I'm mostly mad at the people that are looking at the Snowpiercer TV series, and not as ah, mad as ah. I am. I I don't want to talk about that one. I'm just like, well, they got to stretch okay. the idea out like over three seasons, guys. Of course, it's going to be crap. Yeah, but anyways, the, but the thing that I'm interested in is that Bong Joon Ho. It seems most of his films are about class struggles, like specifically yeah. Korean class struggles. But every single film he makes is about some degree of issues with class structures and that stuff. And apparently, this one is like the manifesto on his thoughts about class structures, and it's all done with this very satirical genre bending element to it. I don't know all the details because I'm uh, uh, just a warning for people. Don't look at the Wikipedia page for this because the plot is spelled out in its entirety on the wiki page. So oh, good. I was about to fucking Lame. look this up. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, no. I'm trying don't, to avoid it. Yeah. Don't look at the synopsis on there because, I mean, it already came out in Cannes so, and Korea, so everyone's already talking about it, sadly. Uh, oh, but on the other hand, yeah, so this sounds very promising. And honestly, if this gets enough traction once it gets its U.S. release, it could campaign for some of the actual major prizes, not just international film, which, wow, that would be – like, could you imagine Bong Joon-ho be nominated for Best Director this year? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, dude. That'll ne- in from here to the day that they eventually shut down the Oscars because it's not bringing in the ratings. They will never have a foreign film in anything outside the international movies. Ah, uh, you say that, but uh, Alfonso Cuarón won last year for best director for uh, Roma. That's right. Yeah. For what movie? Roma. Remember mm-hmm. Roma? <laughs> yeah, Roma has a Netflix, so it was good enough. Like that's the closest we're gonna get. <laughs> well, I mean, foreign film directors have won big prizes. I mean, Best Picture. I don't think we've had as many foreign films win. Actually, arguably no foreign films. Other yeah, than, other than British movies or ones promoted by. Oh, British that doesn't American fucking studio. count. Well, you know, like like saying like Slumdog Millionaire. It's an Indian movie, but it's made by British tele, you know British film companies, kind of thing. So, or uh, yeah, let me see. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. I'm sure there's been some foreign films lately that got major prizes. But directing prizes... I'm wrong. I'm willing to on this. Directing prizes are more friendly towards foreign filmmakers in comparison. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what? uh, Yeah, and and I think also it's a chance for them to put... If they really want to promote diversity, it would be really good to promote a lot of these foreign and, you know, other groups of directors and filmmakers out there. And Bong Joon-ho would be a very good case in point on that matter, I would say. So I agree. Yeah. Uh, but one of the other big winners that came out of there, like I mentioned already, was Marriage Story. Now, for people who don't know this one, this is the new film from Noah Baumbach, who did Squid and the Whale way back in the day. And the fantastic Mr. Fox, he wrote that. Well, uh, he co-wrote that, yeah. And yeah, then he also did, um, oh, what was that recently? It was uh, Francis Ha, he did recently. He did, um, what, that Meyerwitz Stories one with Dustin Hoffman on Netflix also. But uh, apparently this one is reportedly to be one of his single best movies because it's loosely inspired of his actual divorce with Jennifer Jason Leigh. So, It's a yeah. pretty star-studded cast. you got Joe Hansen, Adam Driver, Laura Dern. Yep. No, it's got a huge cast. Ray Liotta's in this and Alan Alda's oh. in this also. And basically, yeah, so it's just watching this couple who, you know, nice couple, nothing particularly wrong with them, but it starts to seem like they're their spark fizzles out over time and then eventually just comes to a nasty, ugly divorce the more and the longer it goes on kind of thing. Uh, 
from what I'm hearing, not only is it eligible for probably being one of the big best pitcher and director contenders, but Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are pretty much guaranteed locks now for acting prizes this year. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. not surprising with Adam or Johansson. They always, you know, bring the Scarlett Johansson's going to play say. an Oscar. She's going to be the award. <laughs> I should have the right to play anything I want, <laughs> even an award. <laughs> no, but, but she would nail that, you know. I'm sure. I mean, people said I mean, like, I think I think she's coming from a place of ignorance, but you know how it is. Of course you know, she is. <laughs> that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I have the right I, to play I any think person, any race, give... or any plant. I mean, technically, the... that was out of context from the actual full interview, but it didn't it help the way that was yeah. being being passed around. So. Well, people I can play, need a, to I can just... play a tree if I wanted to, and everyone roll yeah, with that well, one. Just yeah, take, you're take this gorgeous, amazing talent off her pedestal. You know, she's not. Known for Love. giving amazing words of wisdom here. I mean, why does everyone expect celebrities to like give them life coaching advice? You know, she just uh, said something say stupid, and we should move on. That's all I'm saying. I'm gonna say this straight up. I don't think Scarlett Johansson is that good of an actress. I'm not saying she's terrible. I say she's passable. I mean, she's she's varied in her performances. I've seen her do she's... really bad performances, but <laughs> I've never seen her do a she's bad gonna... performance. But I've never seen her do a performance where I'm like, oh my god, I've seen her I do mean, passable. Under the she's skin, gonna... lost in translation, her. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, her best performances are usually not the ones that are the big, like, action vehicles or the big, like, all built on her name kind of thing. Usually she's good at, like, supporting roles or roles that she plays off other people with really well. What about Lucy? Yeah. She was, that's her best performance. I, no. I'm kidding. I just love that movie. <laughs> no. I'm kidding, but I love that movie. Oscar. You'll see. <laughs> so, I, I mean, just be on the lookout. We might actually see... Oscar nominee Scarlett Johansson in the future for this year. That'll be hilarious. Um, and funny, the big competitor for her this year, which I never thought would be the case, the other big winner that came out of TIFF, at least for this one actress, is the film Judy with Renée Zellweger. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so for people who don't know, this is the story about uh, Judy Garland, the famous actress. And yeah, I was about to say, didn't we uh, see a, do a trailer for that? Yeah, Yeah, which, I mean, I, I have to suspect the trailer was just badly cut for the one that we talked about in Breakfast Club. And it was really long, too. It just kept going on and on. It felt like it told the whole movie. Yeah, pretty much. But from what I heard, the biggest praise, like, the movie itself people seem to be fine with overall, but everyone's saying that Renee Zellweger just disappears into this movie. So that's that's a great sign, at least to just get, like, a And bit, she already a, is an Oscar darling. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's already won once, too. So, and she has yeah, been nominated, I think, Mountain. for... Yeah. yeah, she has been nominated since Cold Mountain, that, that, I, I would say. Really? Chicago? Uh, that was before Cold Mountain. No, and you're right. Chicago is actually a very long time ago. My bad. Yeah. And we're <laughs> no, it came out 2017. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was up against uh, Moonlight or La La Land, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's still my favorite Oscar to this day. Uh, oh, wait, no, that was the year before. But, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so hey, we got our, uh, pretty much, so far the definite head-to-head competition this year is going to be between Scarlett Johansson and Rainey Zellweger, unless something else shows up out of nowhere to compete against them for that one. So, that's kind of Elizabeth, uh, sorry, Olivia Coleman in whatever the hell she's doing. (laughs) Well, she's not doing anything this year, she's on the the Queen, so. That's the only reason I'm not upset, because I love uh, Claire Foy, Claire Foy, whatever the hell her name was, as the Queen that season, but Olivia Coleman, nah, that's way better. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so then other films that really shown at this year, I mean, we already talked about Joker, we talked about Jojo Rabbit, like, say what you will, controversy-wise for them, but they definitely got a huge boost from the festivals. Like, literally, oh, yeah. the instant Joker won the top prize at Venice, everyone turned their heads and goes, wait, wait, Joker's that good? Is it? Maybe? <laughs> no, it's just set, in, it's just set there. It's set in that city, and everyone's like, oh my god, it's our city. <laughs> 
No. Um, but anyways, uh, also a big film that came out of nowhere from Venice. I I saw the trailer for Breakfast Pub and I was very excited about this film and now I'm more eager. It's The Two Popes. Uh, have you guys ever heard this one? No. Yeah, man. I was I on that. Uh, yeah. Two so popes. Uh, basically, this film is covering the succession when um, what's the name of the pope who resigned recently? It was Pope Francis uh, or yeah, pope Benedict? Yeah, was uh, Benedict was it, the one that resigned? No, it was the emperor, the one that looks like the emperor. Well, I think well that's yes, Benedict. yeah, yeah. So it's the, about the transition between the two popes in that case, between Pope Benedict and the pope who took over for him. Sorry, I'm not Catholic. I don't know as well about Catholic stuff. I should know better, but. But that's the thing that apparently, ever since it's Venice screening, people have been raving about this movie secretly. Like, you know, only so many people saw it. But the two things they say is that, one, it's probably the best written movie of the year. At least it's going to definitely contend for, I think, best original screenplay for that. Uh, Which is funny because the writer of it is the guy who wrote The Theory of Everything. So... I don't remember the consensus for that movie, because I know that's a Stephen Hawking movie, but I can't remember if people liked it. Uh, it's back and forth. It's a very traditional biopic, but it's mostly well-known yeah. for the actors involved with it. So. Yeah, it's about how all math is just love, and love is everything. Oh, yeah. God. Well, I mean... I, <laughs> Stop besmirching yeah. Stephen Hawking! It's mostly a glowing review. I mean, a glowing perspective. I think Stephen people. Hawking liked the performance a lot. Yeah, he did. Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, but he's also a really good sport when it comes to like making fun. Yeah, of that's true. Yeah, but the other thing that's most notable about this is the two lead actors because it's Jonathan Price from Game of Thrones. You know, he's the uh, the High Sparrow from that show, and then oh, Anthony Hopkins. It. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Anthony well, Hopkins. Yeah, so Anthony Hopkins is playing Pope Benedict, which yeah, when you talk about looking like the what Emperor, he does look like the Emperor when he's made up as Pope Benedict. Dude, it is my favorite fucking Photoshop where they just kind of like get the cloak over words. It's like Pope by day, Emperor at night. <laughs> Soon, yeah, but this apparently, Catholic Church will be operational. One of the big things about the movies is that it's really about the politics of the popes. The fact that Pope Benedict was a very conservative, very traditionally Catholic style of pope, where Pope Francis is much more liberal-minded, where he's not as garish in his appearance. He's much more about being interactive with the people. He's much more yeah. about being down to earth. And that's really what the movie's about, is about the political angle of the Catholic Church in that stuff. And it's just, essentially, oh, it's yeah. one long talking conversation between the two popes uh, throughout the movie. Yeah, because, yeah, no, which actually does sound really interesting, because most people think, oh, God chooses it. No, they just, like, they lock about 16 people in a fucking room, and then they just burn a bunch of, like, letters until someone says, fuck it, I'll be Pope. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's how No, it I know, down. I know. That, that's a brutal generalization, Alan. I don't, it's the Catholic Church, and I'm Muslim. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> wow but the big thing about it is just that i can't wait to see this and it's coming out to netflix so this is gonna be like netflix really? has like four major candidates coming out from the festivals that are really like because uh marriage story is theirs um uh let's see this one is theirs oh. two popes and then the other big one i don't know it's gonna be a total awards contender but dolomite is their film too man you yeah, you, you were selling me on that pope thing and then he said it's a netflix movie Dude, sometimes Netflix comes out with some good movies. Not all sure. the time. Are you, are you a member of the Academy, Alan? And then sometimes they come out with some garbage-ass movies. Yeah, they, they, they have a lot of dumpster fire movies. But every now and then they get like Buster Scruggs, they get Roma, they get a couple other films that are really worth you know the time. So. Look, sure, not, look you pick ten Netflix movies, one of them will be good. Okay, well, but the other one here is the Dolomite movie. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Now, this one's yeah. about the making of the movie Dolomite with Eddie Murphy as lead actor. And yeah. from all the reviews I've heard, this is totally his comeback vehicle, which is shocking because, I mean, wow, Eddie Murphy actually is something worth watching is, like, 
when was the last time he was anything that was worth talking about for the last decade? I, I believe I, it was. Don't tell me, Norbit. Jennifer Hudson won <laughs> the Oscar. What was that? Oh, which one? Where Jennifer Hudson Dream won Girls? the Oscar and Beyonce. Oh, Dream Girls. Dream Girls. Yeah. Dream Girls. Thank you. How long yeah. ago was that? That was thirteen years ago. Yeah, I, was about to say, was... I think I was in high school when that happened. Okay. Yep. What was the last Shrek movie? A uh, Shrek Four, which was two thousand ten. No, there was a so. fifth okay. Shrek movie. Uh, no, there's only four. Right. So is there? Yeah. Happily yeah. Shrek ever after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right you're now. right. I, was, I thought I thought there was a. Okay, one. so I'm looking at his list right now. So yeah, after Dreams Girls, just look at the look at the winners that he was in. He was in Norbit. <laughs> he was in Meet Dave. Oh, that was after. Oh my God. Yeah, that's why he lost the Oscar because he did Norbit right after he did Dreamgirls and it pretty much te- torpedoed him. He also did Tower Heist. He did A Thousand Words. Oh, yeah. He did Mr. Church. You remember that one? The the one where he's like the magical mystical black guy in the uh, in the movie. <laughs> no, no I don't remember it was that. awful. It was from the guy who did uh, Driving Miss Daisy too, which is even funnier. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, this is literally the only thing of note that he's done in a decade, and I have to suspect part of it was just because. What's the name? Jerry Seinfeld rebuked him so hard in that comedians in cars getting coffee. He's like, "Fine, I'll do something that makes you stop, sh- uh, shut up about how awful my movies are." So, well, because he has coming to America, he has a stand-up special, and now he has Dolomite, and it's like, okay, I guess he wants money. Well, he he wants to be taken seriously again because there was a time when Eddie Murphy was literally the biggest star in Hollywood. You oh know, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that's just one of those things where he really wants to get that love back, and I think. It's actually a very good move for him to do something where, one, is it's a passion project, this Dolomite movie, because he loves Dolomite and Rudy Ray Moore. But two, it's it seems like something where it's fun, it's silly, it's funny, but it's still made with a professional quality enough that people will take notice of it. So, I don't know. It, I Again, I don't know how well it's going to fare for Oscar contention stuff, because it is just so chaotic and fun and silly. But And the, yeah, and the Academy hates fun. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Do they? Yeah, it depends on the movie. Is this morbidly depressing and talking about something historical? Okay, we're good. Is this actually yeah. fun and still just talks about something historical? Get it the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because another movie that's kind of similar to that is Knives Out, where it's not really a winner and it's not a Ooh. loser. Like it had a. It, so here's the thing: it got rave reviews coming out of TIFF, uh, and I know Shaq loved it. He thought it was fantastic. So a little spoiler. I. And I, I don't even know how to feel about this because Ryan Johnson did Looper, and I fucking love Looper. I think Looper's an incredible movie. Then he does Last Jedi, and I think that's the biggest piece of shit I've seen in a while. Now with Knives Out, I'm like, this trailer looks so goofy and weird, but I love whodunits. <laughs> I love well, that's the thing. Like it that. is goofy and weird, apparently, but it is uh, apparently a really good whodunit. So that's the thing. I know Alan and I seem to be the only people who did not like Last Jedi around here, which, whatever. But I will say this, that I'm willing to give someone a chance if they can still prove me something that I haven't seen from them yet. You know, and this is, I mean, this isn't new for Ryan Johnson because he did mystery films back in the day with Brick, you know, his big yeah. breakout film. And, and so this cool. seems like yeah. it's going back to his roots with like doing Brick, but with more of like the Agatha Christie angle to, towards it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's definitely Agatha Christie. I can't remember which, uh, what, what's the book that they, basically almost every whodunit just rips off nowadays? Well, it's, not, it's, a, it's the play, The Mousetrap, essentially. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, so, and, I mean, I've seen The Mousetrap, it's really good. But that's the thing where it feels like this one, it's going to be a harder sell to be taken seriously as an Oscar contender because it is so goofy and over-the-top, and Ryan Johnson's not known for being, like, prestige film, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. If any if anything really fails over the course of the next few months, maybe it might eke its way into a slot somewhere. Kind of thing. It might get, like, soundtrack or visual design, or it'll get one of the technical awards, on, if, if anything. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. 
Uh, let's see, in terms of other, like, winners, winners, I mean, Pain and Glory is getting a lot of traction. Uh, that's that one that's from uh, Pedro Maldivar with Antonio Banderas, where basically this is, talk about people with comeback careers, this is the one that may actually get Antonio Banderas an Oscar nomination, which is shocking to believe. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Nah, people, he's great. Yeah, oh no, he's a great, like, that's the thing, he can be a good actor, he just chooses often to not be a good actor in a lot of movies. Because <laughs> there's that period of time yeah. he was doing those terrible action movies like X vs. Sever, if you remember that one. Expendables no, 3. No, no one wants to remember that, come on. Exactly, and that really hurt his career for many, many years, but it seems like he's yeah. kind of found his muse going back to do indie films in Spain, and good. I mean, if it gets good work out of him, I like Antonio Banderas, so go all the power to him. Yeah. Uh, and I guess for the only one, I mean, two films that kind of came out of nowhere to be big surprises from uh, TIFF especially was Waves, the new film the guy did, It Comes at Night, that um, uh, the horror film from Blumhouse. Oh, yeah, oh, no, yeah, A- A- A24, yeah, no, uh, that one got a lot of really strong reviews. Like, few reviews that made them all get blown away, but it was a big one. It was like, hey, no one knew what this movie was, and now we've seen it, and it's really good, kind of thing. Cool. Uh, but the other film that broke out out of nowhere, and I'm very intensely curious about this because I didn't know jack about this movie. Uh, the film called Sound of Metal. Have you guys heard about this one? No. Is so, it a sequel to The Sound of Rain? <laughs> no, it's a long lost sequel to Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> the metal version of Sound of Music, you know? <laughs> that sounds like... Dude, how is that not a thing? The hills are alive. <laughs> how is that not a thing? <laughs> no, but uh, this one apparently is a new acting vehicle for Riz Ahmed from uh, the, the Night of the Nightcrawler. So mm-hmm. he plays a oh, drummer, yeah. and apparently he's going deaf over the course of the film. And it's basically him reevaluating his lifestyle based on the fact that what he loves doing, he won't be able to do anymore because he's going to completely lose his hearing after a while. Uh, Nightcrawler got super snubbed. So I mean, it got oh, an okay. Oscar for, I mean, a nomination for screenplay, but that was about it, sadly. Yeah. It didn't get snubbed. It got exactly what it deserved. You, you didn't like Nightcrawler, really? Nope. Uh, hey, have you met Alan? <laughs> yeah, I have opinions that vary depending on genre, yes. Was it too subtle or? No, it was just too. Dude, Nightcrawler, the sequel, we're calling Joker because I feel like they're doing the kind of the same nihilistic approach of the world fucking sucks. Well, no, I mean, you know, we're all disgusting, you know, hungry for chaos that we could. I mean, we're really not, but sure. No, and you're right. You're right. That, that was very cynical. I said that. But, but, but that's, that's the plot of, of the movie is everyone's disgusting. Yeah. So just be the worst person possible and everything will work out great for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so and but then it the didn't only... work out great. Uh, anyways, yeah. Yeah. The only other one I can say is probably like a big like push for Oscar contention. Well, two supporting actor contenders here. Um, one is for The Lighthouse, which apparently everyone's saying that Willem Dafoe is a big contender for supporting actor this year because he seems to. That that's his thing. He's always the one thing that gets represented for every movie he's in, like um, Florida Project, yeah. um, yeah. At Eternity's Gate, and it seems like this one. It's like maybe The Lighthouse will be overlooked for a lot of stuff, but he might get recognized. So cool. John Wick one, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I don't think he should be recognized anymore unless they just give it to him and accept that he deserves it. I know, right? But the other one who seems to be one of those ones like, I guess we should give it to him because it's been too long, is for Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Because all the reviews have been very positive for it, and technically, Tom Hanks is going to campaign for supporting actor, not lead actor in that movie. Because he's technically who's not the, the lead. So Who's the lead? Um, The lead is the dude from The Americans, Matthew Reese. Really? Okay. 
Yeah, because he's technically technically the movie's about him where he's a reporter interviewing Mr. Rogers. So he's technically the lead actor where Mr. Rogers is the other character who comes into his life kind of thing. Oh, yay. Another movie about how someone who saw something is more important than the actual <laughs> Than the person subject. who did yay. it. Well, Dude, I mean, that's but- how you do biopics. It's two versions. It's either from the person that did it or the person that watched him. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is that it's also being made by the person who did um, "Can You Ever Forgive Me" last year. The um, the one nope. who wrote the car movie. I know you. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna I make you watch that, that movie, question. and you are gonna like it, and you're gonna like a Melissa McCarthy movie for once. Dang it! That's never gonna happen because every I love that title because as soon as it ends there, I go no. <laughs> Jeez, I'm excited for this. This sounds really promising. Now. For a couple of in-betweener movies that seem to be getting no attention whatsoever, or at least either getting no attention or they're getting some good praise, but I don't know if they're Oscar-worthy. One is a Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf movie. Yeah. Where it seems like everyone who saw it overall really likes it, but, I mean, do you think this film has any chance of breaking out? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> I'd be surprised if anyone remembers it by Oscar time. Uh, I mean, we'll see. I think it yeah. looks great. I'm I think it looks great. Like, the movie. only one who might get a chance is Shia LaBeouf at playing his dad. Because apparently everyone says he's phenomenal in the movie. So I think that there's two... Like, we already named so many people that'll fill up the best actor and best supporting nom already. And it's like, if they do, it'll be a, it'll be maybe best original screenplay. I think yeah. that it could be nominated for that. That's the only... And that's like... That's implying that there's not, like, already a bunch of killers on this list. Oh, yeah. No, and that's the problem is that it's just so gosh dang crowded. Like, yeah. especially for the end of the year stuff. Now, again, unless a bunch of these just fall on their faces really hardcore, because we've said that about some people who are like, oh, this is going to get recognized. This is going to sweep the Oscars. And then it's gone, pretty much. It's Shia LaBeouf, so it's like, that's the only thing. If it was anybody else, eh, it's Shia LaBeouf, so maybe he has one last little bit of stardom that'll get him through the crack. But it's like, I'm not putting my money on it. Yeah, but uh, in terms of ones that just kind of middling response, even though they got good reviews, uh, Hearts and Bones, that Hugo Weaving movie that we talked about on Breakfast Pub, uh, oh, yeah. apparently people who saw it really loved it, but only like 12 people saw it at the festival. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So it's almost like, man, this should get more attention than it is than, than it's getting, but it's just underseen, and that's just the biggest problem with it. Uh, same goes for, let's see, uh, you know what, one that seems to be getting... People don't know what to respond to this movie, The Report with Adam Driver, where it's all about the CIA investigation into the torture of uh, suspected 9-11 and other um, people, like terrorists and this stuff. And really? it's just one of those ones where it's like it's a very weighty, important topic. One of those, like, give us an Oscar movies, but no one yeah. seems to be, like, in love with this movie. They're just like, it's good. Solid. Nothing great. Just fine. Well, it's... The idea of it is so div- divisive. Divisive? What am I trying to say? Divisive is... Yeah, divisive. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, me, it's one of those like, things. Do I believe yeah. in torture? I believe that uh, people shouldn't do that because of all the uh, coercion that could take place. But other people would watch the film and be like, "Yeah, go heroes, torture those bastards." It's so. one of those movies that it's like uh, what we watch, uh, uh, Official Secrets, where yeah. it's essentially talking shit and pointing out the hypocrisy of the U.S. government. But people just don't like that kind of stuff because they don't like to think that the government are evil. But they guess fucking what? Most of them are. Well, I mean, and also Official <laughs> well, Secrets, I people, liked you know. enough, but I didn't think it was a great movie either. You know, I'm just like, I it, it's okay. Loved it. Yeah, I know. No, I remember. <laughs> did you edit out the spoiler? <laughs> I did. I actually so one. It shows you didn't listen to the review. Thank you. <laughs> I was <Knightley>. there. <laughs> Kira Knightley's practically Natalie Portman. So what? Oh okay, no, we, we're both in Canada. I'll fight you. <laughs> you ever insult? Were, <laughs> could like you tell which again. one was Padme? Come on now. 
Anyway, uh, also some movies that kind of just fizzled out a little bit. Like, Uncut Gems got pretty good reviews, but I doubt it's going to get any traction for that movie. Because good oh, time is that the one with either, the so. Adam Sandler? Yeah, that's the Adam Sandler one. Which, you it's know, Adam Sandler's doing a drama for a change. So, Good luck with that one. Apparently, it's again, people like it, but it's definitely not going to be Oscar-worthy, I don't think. Uh, also one that just fizzled out completely was Just Mercy. That one with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. Oh, that, yeah, that looked like a... Looks a little saccharine. Is that how you say it? Saccharine. Yeah. Saccharine. Thank you. Well, so that's the what... thing is that this one didn't get terrible reviews, but most of the reviews I've seen for it, most of you would like, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's just a very standard biopic movie kind of thing. So. Well, when you have such hard hitting themes, you have to hit hard with them. Not none yeah. of this. Well, what did I say before? Love will solve everything. But I'm yeah. sorry. To, I'm being really like, cynical mo- today. That movie needed to be something like Spotlight, where. Yeah. They try their best to solve the problem, and they never solve it, and the movie just kicks you in the nuts as it, as it walks out. And then you find <laughs> out just how deep the problem is. Yeah. yeah. You, know? you, you you can't have a movie where, oh, man, good thing he saved this one person. You if know, he, he does or not, because we don't yeah. know. None of us have looked up the actual case, so yeah. no spoilers. And I will not spoil it for you if I do look it up, Alan, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> anyways... <laughs> Um, but now we're going to talk about the biggest losers, I think, I personally think, from this festival. Because, oh boy. Biggest losers. So, one that really just crashed and burned. Like, again, not even everyone hated it, but everyone's just like, eh, is that movie The King with uh, Timothy, Timothee Chalamet? There you go. Yeah. Timothee Chalamet. From what it sounds like, it's exactly the way that Outlaw King was received. Everyone's just like, it's fine. Nothing well, Alan, else. you're looking forward to this because of uh, our pads, right? R. Pats, Robert Pattinson. Oh, right. Robert Pattinson and his luscious locks are in this movie, too. Oh, yeah, Robert Pattinson is the movie you wouldn't like or we're kind of eh about. Wow. Hey, The Lighthouse was great, apparently. So that's sure. the one that everyone likes for Robert Pattinson this year. <laughs> sure. But yeah, so this one, it seemed like its Oscar chances just went, you know, this is the Netflix movie that's not going to get any attention. So Can we just stop doing movies about kings? They're never great. No. <laughs> Kingsman's coming out like in a, in a year. Different movie. I know, <laughs> but still. Um, the other biopic movie that kind of failed to make an impression at all was that Harriet movie, the Harriet Tubman biopic. They made a Harriet Tubman biopic? I had no I mean, idea. Exa- no, again, exactly. The fact that nobody's talking about it shows how well it did. Because basically... So uh, who, who was the friend that helped her throughout the whole way? No, that it's o- that's the thing. It's yeah. only Harriet Tubman played by uh, Cynthia Erivo from uh, the Bad Times at El Royale. She's wait, wait, wait. Movie. Is this the one where they made it like an action movie trailer? Well, it looked like an action movie, yeah. Yeah, that was fucking weird. We were watching this going, why is Harriet Tubman, like, dual-wielding guns? Well, apparently that is a thing that people don't talk about, that she actually did, like, you know, it wasn't just peaceful revolution that she did. They actually did some stuff where there was armed conflict with her, so. Please uh, don't tell me the Underground Railroad is shown as, like, a magic train. No, it's apparently the thing is, is that it's a very earnest biopic, and that's its biggest fault. Is that it's trying well, that's to good. well, it's trying to create a very mythological approach of Harry Tubman when it's uh, not. Geez. you know, like where she's like, she's amazing, and everything she did was amazing, kind of thing. And it's just like, no. okay, well, no, we need a John Wick style action scene. Biopics like... only succeed on the humanity of the subject, I think. So taking the mythological roots, it's safe. So at least no one was offended, I guess. Yeah, no, that's exactly the way it was. Where it's just like nobody's offended, nobody's excited. They're just meh. With that movie. Nobody's offended unless you made a really bad movie about Harriet Tubman, then there'd be a lot of people that would be offended. Well, sure. That's an entirely <laughs> yeah. different situation there. Um, also one that kind of just floundered was that Motherless Brooklyn movie, uh, Edward Norton's directorial movie. Oh, really? That looked really interesting. It looked interesting, but apparently, again, not bad reviews, but it seems like everyone just went, it's a decent movie. It's not great. It's not bad. 
So he's super pretentious, isn't he? Oh yeah. So I mean, it looked again. I think it looked okay, but we'll have to see if we get any screener requests for this or not. I, I'm just curious more than anything. Yeah, I want to see it because again, you have Bruce Willis and Ed Norton, and I'll fucking watch it. Yeah. Now for the last three movies here that definitely got negative reviews coming out of uh, the the festivals. One was the Laundromat, the one from uh, Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, well, he's been hit or miss. For the past, like, three years, right? And he puts yeah. out crap. He puts so, out... so, Alan, this is the one that we saw in Breakfast Pub with, um, with uh, Meryl Streep and Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas, where it's all about the Panama Papers. Oh, yeah. I think I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. So, apparently, it's sitting at 47% now on Rotten Tomatoes. Where, <laughs> And, again, it's exactly what I thought from the trailer. It was like, it seems like it's just so scattered in tone and focus with its, like, comedy and drama it's trying to do. So, yeah. Did he film it on his iPhone? He might have. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've seen two of his. Well, I've seen one of his iPhone movies, the High Flying Bird. I mean, the iPhone looks okay, but that's just to show that hey, you can make a movie on your iPhone. Big whoop! We've well, that, done that on YouTube yeah, all the time now. That's kind of cool. High Flying Bird was fine. Yeah, no, that's exactly. He's been just making fine films. He hasn't really made a great movie in a long time. Uh, but the two most slammed movies, one was The Goldfinch, that one about the art heist stuff. I can't believe that didn't that come out in theaters recently? Yeah, it just came out this week in theaters and it bombed because of, of all the Of course it reviews. bombed. There was no fucking res- there was no fucking marketing for that. It was like a teaser trailer and that's it. Poor Ansel Elgort. Yeah. No, that's the problem is that once it started getting the TIFF responses, everyone's just like, Yeah, this movie is too long, it's boring, it's not it doesn't do the book any justice apparently. So Is this yeah, a, in the same universe as the Golden Compass or am I crazy? No, it's it's no, li- no, it's, the- it's based on a book that was uh, released, so that's what I thought. I was like, oh, they finally got the money together to make a sequel to The Golden Compass. No, we're actually no, getting the TV that's show. That's called of... The Subtle Knife. Oh, yeah. wait, you're kidding, right? No, no. HBO is doing the, the TV show. HBO? Have you not seen the yeah. trailers for these? Uh, um, what's uh, His Dark Materials, the TV show? Yeah, oh, wait. James McAvee's in there. I'm going to show. Oh. I'm going to forward you that trailer. You were going to see goddamn it. You goddamn right you are. <laughs> she's yeah. X-23 in there. What's her name? Yeah, um, the young girl from, from uh, Logan. She's the yeah, main actor. she's awesome. Yeah, but the big one, the big one that got slammed by the critics, and I know Alan is gleeful about this one, is Lucy in the Sky, the, that space movie with Natalie Portman. Oh, really? A movie with Natalie Portman got panned by critics. Let me <laughs> pull her out tear, pour out a drink for her. I don't... I'm not surprised by this. I'm sorry, but like we went through and had an argument for like 15 minutes prior to this recording because I think Natalie Portman, I'm going to say this straight up, I think she's a terrible actress. And I think most of her career has been either subpar, mediocre, or just straight awful fucking performances. And this is just added to the list. And see, I I can say that, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of great Natalie Portman movies, but I've seen some good, and I know you, you shot down a few of the ones I thought were good, but I th- I've seen her in good movies. The problem is, I don't even fully blame Andy Portman for this one. I blame Noah Hawley, because it's the guy who did Fargo who's directing this. And, I mean, not the Fargo movie, the Fargo TV show. Okay, I was about to say, I yeah. was like, wait, what? No, <laughs> the, the, the Fargo TV show, Noah Hawley. Which, this yeah. has been my biggest complaint with Fargo as the seasons go on, is that ever since Noah Hawley's taken more of a, uh, uh, a time directing the movies, I feel like... I feel like his directorial style is just too gosh dang heavy handed. Like he's so absorbed in visual metaphors and montages and loving shots of stuff. Like the same thing complaints I have with Legion, which I know people like Legion. I just I find him to be very pretentious the way he directs. Oh, he is, and and that's actually one of the biggest problems. The first season of Legion. I fuck that first. The the season finale, the last episode is incredible. But the problem with uh, season okay, season one and two of Fargo are incredible fucking masterpieces of television. Some of the best television I've ever seen. 
Season 3 is exactly what you expect. It is focusing so much on these visual aspects that go nowhere, character motivations that do nothing, and montages that feel pointless to the extent where I feel like I could skip the scene and it wouldn't affect at all. Legion is the same way. It's weird for weird's sake and it's doing all sorts of weird shit just to feel artsy and it feels like he wants to be an artistic director but doesn't understand how. Well, because it's like, it's not that Lucy Sky is bad looking. Like, even the trailers is a very well shot movie which he's got, you know, really top tier cinematographers working for him. But it's just yeah. the problem that it's just the way the story's being told. It's just so laborious. And apparently, we talked about what this, you know, the actual story this movie is based on. They didn't even go as far as the actual story, apparently. Like, there's that whole thing about That's how she's like... upsetting to hear. Well, the yeah. biggest one, you know the whole thing where apparently she was like in an adult diaper when she was doing the things she kidnapped the people? That's not in this That's... movie at all. That's not well, That's what astronauts wear. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They cut out all the crazy stuff to make it more of a, just a very general movie. Like, it's it's, it's so toothless, apparently. So. Yeah, and I think that it's just because, yeah, Noah Hawley's way more focused on a visual aspect than he is at focusing on story. I think that's why it's like, yeah, he can get great cinematographers so that his vision can get on screen. But he can't do the foundation of a story, which is the fucking writing and dialogue and stuff like that, to to basically supplant or, or sorry to support the visuals he just has them so separately and it seems like that's exactly what's happening here he's trying to make a cool looking movie but then it has nothing to land on yeah and that's just that's just sad because again i don't want to dislike what Noah holly does because i think yeah fargo season one is amazing all the way through and i will say actually my weakest part of fargo I mean, the weakest part of fargo season two is the episodes that he directed the first two where those ones are the most visually heavy with all the crazy metaphors and the stuff just for stuff's sake. And when other yeah. directors took over for season two, that's when the episode, the season got much better, like around season, episode three and four. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when it really clicked for me. What, how much work did he have in season three? Uh, I'm going to look that up because I'm pretty sure he directed the pilot and then maybe one or two other episodes in that one. Because so. that season was trash. And I don't get what the problem is. I think it's just the I mean, he loves to love watching his own stuff. Like, even, uh, again, Legion, that's my biggest problem, is that it can be super navel-gazy at times, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, that's a bummer. But, I, I'm just amazed. Like, I, I thought I would get kind of a tepid response, but no, it's at, like, 27, 29% Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it is very disliked, apparently. This is exact. I, honestly, as soon as I saw this, I was like, this movie's gonna fall the fuck apart. And I was right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Noah Hawley did direct the first episode of season three, and then I think he directed one one, one other one later in the season two. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, just, Which, it, yeah. yeah, not surprised. But, yeah, otherwise, that's mostly I want to talk about. Just wanted to give a general cross-section about how these films were being received. And right now, I've been looking at my Gold Derby and trying to update a bunch of stuff for predictions. And, again, it's super freaking hard to pick what's going to be stuff by this point. Cause, so, yeah, no, I'm looking at my updates here. And there's some stuff that hasn't even premiered yet, especially, too. Uh, the last few movies we haven't seen any news about are uh, The Irishman, 1917, and Little Women. They have not premiered yet at all in the festivals yet. And I think okay. Irishman's coming out in New York on the 27th. So. Yeah, because it's um, November? Isn't it? Is it coming out soon? No, that's what I'm saying. No, so, it's going to come out in November, but, which also, Netflix movie. But yeah. it's going to be uh, it's going to premiere at the New York Festival at the end of the month. So, okay. so we're going to hear our first news about that, and we'll probably cover a little bit about that in, like, a general episode. But, yeah, those are three still giant question marks. But other than that, when I look at who's the top contenders, right now it seems that Irishman and Marriage Story are the top predictors for uh, Best Picture nominations just by at a default kind of thing. And then the only one that people have actually seen enough of is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I don't know 
do you think they can even make it to Best Picture this year? Oh, fuck you. Oh, make it? I'm predicting it might... Uh, it's way too violent. Well, because that's, no, that's the thing is that um, Hateful Eight was not recognized very much this year. I mean, like, when, it, when it was nominated for Back in Well, because Hateful... Okay, the, the problem with Hateful Eight is Hateful Eight was dealing with the controversy of Django. And people felt like it was Django Part 2. And it was. I fucking love Hateful Eight. I think Hateful Eight is an incredible fucking I think movie. it's a good film. Yeah. I Me too. love everything about it. But the problem was it was still dealing with the stink of what was happening with Django. Whereas Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is every single thing the Academy loves. It's a period piece about Hollywood. It's a love letter to Hollywood. It's a love letter to the 60s. It's doing a lot of stuff that involves a lot of film and talking about film. It's, it might as well be this year's La La Land. Like, Except it, the biggest problem sleep. now is that it's also getting its controversy. So it's getting its controversy for the violence. It's getting its controversy for how it Bruce handled Lee. the Mansons and for Bruce Lee. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think that that's because honestly, I'll say this: I don't think the Academy even knows who Bruce Lee is. <laughs> I will straight oh up. <laughs> so I think it's gonna like it might not win Best Picture, but it's sure shit gonna get nominated. I'll put my I'll put my fucking money down on that one. It's possible. I mean, I again, the, the um, Gold Derby is currently the top predicted one to make it in, which I'm still like, uh, okay. But otherwise, you know, it's mostly what people suspect. Like Parasite is actually considered to be a possible Best Picture contender. Um, <laughs> this Korean movie that's in a language that most hey, of you. Uh, to be fair, foreign films can get nominated for Best Picture. Uh, we've had some German have, films yeah. recently. Uh, like what was like, like Amour in 2012? They got nominated for Best Picture. Uh, a few other films. And, and uh, I just wanted to be funny, so a bunch of people are like, "What the fuck is that? What the fuck?" Won't well, I mean, even the people who've seen the movie, most of them would go WTF with that film, too. They're like, what just happened? I loved it, but I don't get it fully. Um, but then also, like, there's a few other films that people are, like, on the fence about. Like, Ford versus Ferrari got a good response. Not the best response, but I'm sure it's going to get pushed for Best Picture Candidate stuff. Hard yeah, to Matt tell. Matt Damon will screw that up. I hope it's good, though, because, like, I-, I love both Christian Bale and Matt Damon. And this movie does look good, so I'm like, oh, please be good. Yeah, but I mean, just out of any of the films, I've been talking a lot about this stuff. Is there anything here that looks like it'd be even a good contender this year outside of what we talked about? I think Marriage Story is going to blow up for the Academy. I think it's one of those stories. It's a because I don't know if it's a period piece, but from the poster, no, it's, it looks it's like modern. So how modern? Because like it looks like it's something like, like the seventies or eighties. Like the, no, it's made, well, it, it's got the flavor because basically it feels like it's trying to capture the vibe of Kramer versus Kramer, those kind of movies. But yeah. it looks like it's set in modern day. So yeah, but it, it's a story about two people. And it's a it's a love story between two people, and it's about the human condition. That that shit gets eaten up at the fucking Oscars. So it's like I think that one's gonna blow through. It's gonna get best screenplay, best actor, best actress. Like it's well, gonna it's, a, it's gonna it's about divorce, man. That's not exactly. A bad they story. love it, dude. The Academy loves misery. The more miserable your story is, the no, better. I don't think oh. divorce stuff ever does well. Oh, it's, no, Schindler's it's, List you ate up at the Oscars. Yeah. Well, uh, we shouldn't compare a divorce to the Holocaust in misery. <laughs> I'm just saying that they love misery. Yeah, but I don't think the movie's all misery. To be fair, like it's it's, it's actually got like comedy to it as well. It is dark, but it's not yeah. really dark. Yeah, and I'm but, sure it's probably f- just phenomenal. I enjoy Noah Baumbach as a writer. Um, Squid and the Whale was very underrated, if you ask me. Yeah, well, especially because I love grown-ups movies like this. You know, like movies that are made yeah. to be ingested. Oh, while we're young, he wrote that too, right? That was one yeah, of my favorites he did that as one. well. Yeah, and then um, last year, one of my favorite movies was that movie Private Life that you and I saw, Brad, and yeah. uh, which was also a Netflix movie. And I feel like I like this angle of Netflix films where they're not the big prestige, like expensive, arty dramas, but these very small, slice-of-life, intimate stories. And I think that yeah. can really work really, really well. Right. Yeah, they Absolutely. don't spend two hundred fucking million dollars on a movie and try and stop making sci-fi stuff. <laughs> I mean, be this fine. Mo- yeah, this movie only costs eighteen million dollars in comparison, and that's a good investment, I would say. So, yeah, yeah, that's but, yeah. 
keeping especially keeping smaller movies that are about talking under 20 million dollars especially on netflix because like that's gonna be, everyone's gonna watch it because it's a fucking netflix movie so it's like yeah it'll yeah and so far uh, that's the highest reviewed movie this year uh, at 100 percent positive rotten tomatoes too so or at least one of the top of the top if ones. fucking bird box can be like the most watched thing of whatever year it came out <laughs> you could sit there and not spend stupid amounts of money and make something good yeah, so I think that one is one of the safest bets for sure coming out of the festival, so, which again, I knew something about that movie, but I didn't think it would be like a big contender until all these reviews came out. I'm just like, okay, now I need to put this on my radar, so absolutely. Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those things where we're getting an idea of how the race is shaping up just, just to see who got the best responses and that stuff, but there's still plenty to go at the rest of this year. And again, I want to see 1917. I want to see if that's any good, you know, kind of thing. Oh, that uh, Sam Mendes war. Yeah, the World, World War, War I, I movie. So, Gumbabach. <laughs> so, uh, anything else to discuss? I think we've covered a good cross yeah. section of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the biggest spectacle that's going to be pushed is the Aeronauts with Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones. Oscar right. Oh, oh, and you're going to have a tough time telling good, the difference between them. They always push a spectacle, you guys, and this one has all the Oscar darlings in it. Well, and so that one is one of the two movies being pushed by Amazon because Sound of Metal is the other one they're doing. But oh, really? so far, Aeronauts is, you know, it's got 95% positive Rotten Tomatoes. Again, I know, tomato meter is not everything, but at least it's a good barometer to see how the critics are feeling about it. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm curious. I just, I'm curious, like, if it's even going to be, like, an actual contender or not. Or it's just going to be one of those, like, oh, we like it. It's not the best movie. Uh, it's Love right. will I mean, save them. Love will save them. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah. I mean, is there any ones I missed other than that? Because that's a good point you made about the Aeronauts there. Just that, you know, they're always pushing, a, and it's probably going to be a blockbuster as well. Well, you said it was being released by Amazon. I yeah. I think Amazon should. Yeah, Amazon's a good. They push Amazon good is stuff, so. Amazon has a good track record. Like, uh, talk about a movie that got a bunch of nominations last year, uh, Cold War. That was up for Best Director last year, and that was an Amazon Absolutely. Yeah. So. And then they made Loquisha. <laughs> made what? <laughs> what? Remember Loquisha? That was an Amazon movie. Yeah. Think about this year. I, I don't remember that. Oh, terrible. Why would you bring that up? Because it was an Amazon movie, and you guys are like, man, Amazon's doing good stuff. And I'm like, yeah. Amazon Loquisha. makes good Not stuff. Not everything Loquisha. they do is great. I can admit yeah, that. Yeah, but that's, that's the worst movie I've seen this year. Uh, I've seen some pretty... I mean, wait, worse than Awake? Yeah. Wow. Okay, that is a, that is a very low Awake's bar. Awake's bad. I'm not, I didn't even fight you on that review. Awake is bad, but you wait till you see Laquisha, man. Well, Laquisha's about a, a white, struggling comedian impersonating a strong, angry black woman. Is that... Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah oh, that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. A movie that has enough, like, uh, enough plot to make a trailer. How the hell did they get that? Did that even get past the pitch? Crazy. <laughs> because the movie. Oh, dude, I, I think I reviewed it on the, the Midnight Chat Attack. And I was like, well, it's probably because it was super cheap because he jumps from three sets this bar, his house, and a studio. So I'm sure the movie was really cheap, like maybe under five million. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think that's about everything otherwise. So, hey, that's good. We at least have some like idea of if these movies are even worth considering at this time. And so, yeah, we're just going to see as they start to roll out and actually get reviewed by the main public how the public will respond to them. Because, again, there are some times when these movies get received really well by critics and then they just disappear from the public conscience like immediately. So, yeah, Advertising is funny. what keeps things around, you know? Oh, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, unless there's anything else, uh, Bradley, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the website? You can find me on the Screener Squad reviews, and I'm at Bradley of Martin on Twitter and trolling around the Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Alan? So if you go to Facebook and you type in Chat Attack, you will be able to see all uh, embedded links to YouTube and Twitch where we do all of our live stream. Uh, you just see me all over Screener Squad doing a bunch of stuff, especially what's coming up in the next couple of days. We got and so the, many reviews this week, people. You would not believe it. <laughs> and the third and last thing is uh, this is something that uh, we've been pushing on everything I've been a part of, but uh, I'm a part of some people from the Chat Attack and other places. We started a collective called The Metropolis where we do all sorts of political podcasts. So if you think my hot takes are crazy when it comes to movies, wait till you see what I say about other countries and politics. Uh, holy is, shit. Is Garrett there with you guys? Yes, Garrett's oh, there with us as well. well. There you go. Same. Yeah, you get Garrett on there. I'm sure there's plenty of hot takes for everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. We just did a show about talking about the most the, the recent upcoming you know, uh, Democratic debate. So if you're curious to see what I think about politics, uh, you'll be able to find the link on Chat Attack. You can also just type in the Metropolis, or if you know me on Facebook, I always post stuff from there. So you'll be able to find it. Okay. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, you guys can find me here on a bunch of shows, Breakfast Pub, which I will be hosting the next two weeks of Breakfast Pub with whoever's available. So, awesome. Uh, and then Screener Squad, Eye of the Prize, like here. And then, you know, depending on how many people listen to this, just be, be aware that, again... We're going to do an Infestation podcast tomorrow, well, tomorrow at the time of this posting, where Shaq and I will go through every movie that he saw, and he can actually give us, you know, insider perspective on a lot of these movies that we saw. So, hey, that's cool. And, yeah, other than that, just tune in, and we got plenty of stuff. Like, you are, you are not going to be starved for content at all on these reviews, people. <laughs> you're, you're going to get so many reviews, you're not going to believe it. So. You're going to be so mad at me in, like, a week. <laughs> I, just in a week come on man <laughs> <laughs> well I'm assuming that's how they get through all the content to be like man fuck that guy <laughs> well alright thank you for listening everybody we'll see you as soon as we have another po- episode of the Eye on the Prize <laughs> see ya see ya